Before we look at our, our passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, perusing the internet over the previous week, they found out at, at, at a website uh, what the top four New Year's resolutions in America have been for the past 10 years, over the last decade. The top four New Year's Eve resolutions. First one, for those in America, improve our personal finances. Secondly, stop smoking. Third, lose weight. And fourth, get more exercise. There's nothing wrong with any of those, I would say. Nothing wrong with having a little bit of extra cash. We all know that uh, smoking can be bad for your health. I could stand to lose a few pounds. It's always good to exercise, right? Not bad. But on the other hand, if you think about it, that's it? Really? The big scheme of life, we're, we're not supposed to spend as much money, we're supposed to quit a bad habit, eat less and jog more. It's really not that big of a deal, is it? The interesting thing is that the same article said over 90% of the people who make New Year's resolutions, they end up not keeping them more than three months. And what's funny about that is we continue on with life pretty much, don't we? Here's the point. Of course it is true, including your pastor, there are many things that we should change about our lives. We could list off a dozen really quickly. But the way that we go about it, the way that we think about our lives, I think we have to confess that it seems somewhat shallow, somewhat superficial. In fact, if we're really honest, we could say it's, it's kind of selfish, right? I mean, these four top resolutions of the last decade, they're all about me. Paul, in our text that we are about to read, is, is writing and explaining to the Corinthian believers what it means to live with meaning, to live with purpose, and for something so much bigger than ourselves. It, it is a, Paul is writing about a totally different category than New Year's resolutions. And, and be real clear, I, I think it's great that we make New Year's resolutions That's okay. It's not great, but it's okay. But realize Paul is living in an entirely different world than the rest of humanity. Paul is living in a different world, and as we read this passage, at least I know when I studied this passage, I want to live in Paul's world. And I'm hoping that God is at work in your lives so that you will want to live in Paul's world as well. So let's read our passage, printed for you in your bulletins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed... 
We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. It's God's words at play. Let's pray. Father, we do, even as we come to your word, we we plead uh, your kindness and mercy to us because so often we read your word or we hear about your word and we... We think they're just words. And yet you tell us that these words are powerful. They are active. You work through them by your Spirit. And I pray this morning that you would work in our hearts. That you would help us to see this world that Paul lives in. This world that you have brought about by the coming of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would see that with our eyes of faith. And it would change our hearts. And we would seek to live for you, not only this day, but from here on, forevermore, until you return, or until you take us home, for we look to Christ even now, amen. So look, Paul is, Paul is courageous, Paul is a courageous human being, he is courageous in his life, even though his life is very difficult. He is courageous even when he talks about and he thinks about dying. And these two things together, his, his courage about what it means to live in this world now, his courage even when he thinks about facing death, it makes him courageously driven to obey Jesus Christ. You see, everything in this life for Paul, because of what Jesus Christ has done, everything in this life matters eternally. And knowing what God has done in Jesus Christ makes you as an individual matter, makes us as the body of Christ matter, makes our our circumstances and situations matter, whether they be good or bad, makes our future matter. And and when I say, when Paul says, knowing what God has done in Jesus Christ, this knowing, it's what it means to live by faith. We have this idea that faith is some kind of uncertain or some unsure trust in some possibly, potentially true things. That's That's not what Paul means by knowing what Jesus Christ has done and living by faith. Faith is a certain and sure knowledge that God is for you. 
It's not a, a hope in the dark. It's a sure and certain knowledge. Paul is certain. Paul is sure that God has worked in Jesus Christ. And he's bringing about this brand new world that's, that's going to make everything right. And, and the problem that he's addressing in the Corinthian church, which I think is a problem among us as God's people in the world today, the problem is discouragement, distraction, and yes, the fact that we're all going to die. They are the great enemies of living by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. We're easily discouraged, are we not? We're easily distracted. And the older we get, the more we realize that we're not going to live forever as it is now. Paul begins by saying, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about his flesh. He's talking about his body. He's talking about his life here on this earth. That if this tent that is our earthly home, if that is destroyed, he says, we know that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, Paul is saying the life that he's living now is temporary. You see, the big picture is this, the foundation for for what Paul is saying here, actually the foundation for all of Paul's life, is that he knows that God has done something amazing. And, and, And that amazing thing that God has done has changed the direction, the path, the trajectory of his life. And not only his life here, but his future. Not only his future, but forever. What God has done in Jesus Christ. And what God has done in Jesus Christ is this. He has invaded the enemy territory of our own hearts and in this world through the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross, he not only pays the penalty for our sin, not only forgives us, not only um, makes peace between us and God and peace with one another, But he also delivers us in the world that we live in from the powers of death and the devil. That's what Paul is so excited about. That's why in the Lord's Prayer we say, deliver us from evil. Because we know that Jesus Christ has come. And he's come to deliver us from the evil. Not only the evil in the world, but the evil in our hearts. And understanding for Paul what God has certainly done in Jesus Christ empowers him to live courageously in a sometimes very difficult, very scary world. One of the things that that I think we need to come to grips with is we have a tendency to think that our salvation is simply personal. That Jesus Christ died on a cross to save sinners like me and you. And that is absolutely true. But Jesus simply didn't die to save us from our sins. He died to make the whole world new. And Jesus dying on a cross and being buried and resurrected and ascending into heaven, it transfers us by faith into a whole different realm of living. Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ, has implications for the whole world, the world that we live in. And it should change the the way we see the world. And listen, the way we experience the world. Because it has to be true in some measure. None of us here today, if we're honest, we can't say that everything is all right 
in our own lives and everything's all right in the world. I haven't met anybody yet in the last two years at Redeemer Presbyterian Church where everything is absolutely perfect. And all you have to do is, is turn on the news to see that our world, the world that we are living in, is not that good. Paul is saying the coming of Jesus Christ, what we just celebrated a week ago with the incarnation, the birth of our Savior, what we just celebrated and his, his death on a cross, for those who believe, Paul is saying it's the end of the old. And it's the beginning of the new. And, and we, do have to, we do have to acknowledge that, that Paul is speaking as an apostle here. And he's talking about the difficulties of what it means to, to minister in the church. He's talking as, as an apostle. And yet he's also talking as a Christian. And therefore he is speaking for all of us here today who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And he is challenging us about how we are to look at the world that, that we live in. And specifically how we are to live in this world. And the first thing Paul does is he, he doesn't stick his head in the sand. He doesn't pretend like everything's okay. He begins by reminding us that life is hard. It's not always bad. And many days it can be very, very good, but Paul never says, this life is easy. We didn't read it, but if you were to turn back to chapter 4 of this same letter, Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And he goes on and he says, but even in the midst of this, we do not lose heart. And he's continuing to develop this idea in chapter 5. He says in verse 2, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. In other words, we were made for something more than what we're experiencing now. Do you understand that? We were made for something more than what we're experiencing now. Verse 4, we are burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. There is something more we all yearn for. It always seems to be just a little bit beyond our grasp. And yet because of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, this is a temporary state. It's like a tent. We put it up for a little while for a particular purpose, knowing that we need something more secure, something more eternal, something more long-lasting. And again, Paul is pointing us to a reality that Jesus Christ has brought into this world, that there is something more for us and can only be found in Christ. And for those who have been united to him by faith, he says this at the end of, chapter, or at the end of verse 4. He says, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. And what he's saying is he understands that that's happening now to him, even as he lives, even as he is afflicted, even as he is crushed, even as he is persecuted, even as he is struck down. He says, 
We are living this life so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He is so sure, Paul, is so sure of what God has done that he's not only realistic about the difficulties of this life, he can even face the fact that one day in the future he is going to die. And he knows that's not the way it's supposed to be. You do realize that, right? We were not created to die. But Paul is not afraid to die. It's, this is interesting because in, in, our, in our world today, it's not popular to think about dying. But I will tell you, Paul's not afraid to think about death, think about dying. He doesn't talk about passing away. He doesn't talk about going home, not like that. He talks about the fact that he is ready to die, but it's not because he just wants to end his life. Look, this is a complicated passage, but let me read it to you, and then I'll explain it. Verses 3 and 4. He says, We long to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Let me say it like this. The older we get, if we are maturing, if we are growing, which doesn't always happen, but but if that is the case, if we are growing older, if we are maturing, the more we should see how complex life can be, right? It's not as simple as we used to think, right? Remember when you were young, some of you started out thinking that if we only get the right job and if we only get the right spouse, our life will be complete, right? Right? We get older and we find, out, we find out no matter how good that job is, there's not a perfect job out there. We learn that love is not simply a feeling, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of commitment. And look, even though we may be able to look back at our lives, and we should as Christians look back at our lives and, and say that, yeah, I'm, I'm not as bad as I used to be, right? But if we're honest, deep down inside, we still know we're not very good. Not not only that personally, but as you get older, your friends start to die. You see other people struggling, suffering from emotional problems, from physical problems, from spiritual problems. So much so that that in our meeting before worship this morning, we we learned uh, somebody taking their own life. That, That hope goes so far away from, from their understanding of life that they no longer want to live here like it is now. We're made for something more, are we not? But we don't really just want things to end. We want something better. We want something different. And guess what? The good news here is it's the same for Paul. I know that Paul says to live is Christ and to die is gain, but you realize that that doesn't mean that he wants to die. He wants to end his life. What it means is he wants to be with his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to be fully clothed. He wants to be what he was created for. And this part of our passage, these first five verses that are very complex, what Paul is saying is he's giving his order of preference for life. And you want to know what that is? Because this is interesting. 
His first desire is to be alive when Christ comes back so that he will receive his transformed, glorified body and everything will be made right. That's his first desire. He wants Jesus to come back to make everything finished. But secondly, if he can't have that, he loves Jesus Christ. He understands what Christ has done so much that he would leave this tent so that he could be with Christ. But even then, he, knew, he knows that he won't be fully clothed because until Jesus Christ comes back, he won't receive his glorified body, his transformed body, and he won't be complete. But, but he loves Jesus so much, he'll take that second. And then lastly, his choice is he'll, he'll leave things the way they are because he has Christ by faith. And that's good enough. That's what he means when Paul says, I'm, I'm yearning to be fully clothed versus naked. If Paul dies before Jesus Christ returns, it's good because he will be with Christ. But it's not perfect yet until Christ comes back. His ultimate choice is to be complete. So, so what matters is, and, and this is the big question of not only this day, of not only this year, but for the rest of your lives, what matters is, do you have Christ and do you want more of Christ? Because whether alive with Christ here on this earth, whether with him before he returns, or ultimately wanting all things to be fixed, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And Paul knows that's true because God has revealed it to him through his spirit. Life comes with Christ. And to live is to be near him. To live right now for Paul is to be near Christ through his spirit by faith. That's good. It's better to leave and to be with Christ before he returns. But it ultimately won't be best until Jesus finishes the job and he returns and everything is made new. You see... Paul is excited about his difficult life. Paul is courageous about even facing death because he's part of something much bigger than himself. You see, so whether or not we have enough money, whether or not we look good, whether or not things seem to go the way we would like, everything pales in significance to being with Jesus Christ. It's not that these things don't matter, but they only matter in relation to Jesus. And Paul knows this because of what he says in verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, and he gives us the Spirit as a guarantee. In other words, God is in control of all these things. Whether he lives, whether he dies, whether Christ comes back, God is in control. And he knows it because he has the Spirit as a guarantee, the Spirit of first fruits of what it's going to be like for the days to come. And if you have Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. If you have Jesus Christ, the Spirit unites you to Christ in the heavenly of heavenlies. And where he is, you sit too. And you as well, as Paul, can see life even as he sees it. And I know that's all hard, so I'm going to give you a good, hopefully powerful illustration of what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Three weeks ago, this very morning, uh, some of you may know this. Uh, we had a family friend die due to brain cancer. Doctors knew he was going to die. They, in fact, sent him home. There was nothing else that they could do for him. His name was Thomas. He was a regular guy just like me, just like you. He's a dentist, 52 years old. He's a husband and a father of five. 
And a few weeks before he died, maybe even a month before he died, his twin brother came to this church to visit me. We're some we're decent friends, but he really came because his daughter's going to be going to college here, and he wanted to check out Athens. And I asked him how his brother was, and he shared with me this story as they were talking. He and his brother. It was one of, one of Thomas's more lucid moments. There were times when he was out of reality and there were times when he was present. This was one of Thomas's more lucid moments. And they were sitting outside on the swing together at his house. And his brother asked Thomas, he goes, Thomas, now that you know you're dying, what is your purpose now? And Thomas, who, by the way, is, is, is a very witty guy, Thomas asked his brother, are you asking me this question because you want to know what my purpose is, or do you want to know if I know what my purpose is? His brother laughed. He said, and I know what your purpose is. I just want to know if you remember. And Thomas said this, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but this is what he said. He said to his brother, of course I know what my purpose is. He said, I'm here to glorify my Savior in my death just like I tried to do in my life. I'm here to glorify my Savior even as I prepare to die, just like I tried to do in my life. Now, I don't know about you, but this is exactly what Paul is saying. Be of good courage, whether you live or whether you die. It is our aim to please God, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You need to understand this. In in one sense, it does not matter what is happening to us today, this side of Christ's return. Because it's temporary. But understanding that it's temporary empowers us to live in a way that makes it so that everything matters in what we do today. You see, Thomas and Paul and Christians, we seek to live our lives in faithful obedience to Jesus Christ, not because we want to earn our salvation. Not because other people will think we're really good people. Not because it's easy all the time. Not even because we understand why all the time. You do realize that God sometimes asks us to do things that don't seem to make sense to a watching world. Right? But we want to be obedient to Jesus Christ because He is our everything. He is our life, he is our death, and we will one day see him face to face. And we love him so much that when we see him by sight and not by faith, we want to see our Savior smile. Do you want to see your Savior smile? And look, I I know what some of you are probably thinking right now. Well, he's already smiled on me because I'm saved. And you are exactly right. God has loved you when you were most unlovable. But I, but I do want you to hear this. If he smiled on you when you were unlovable, you sure better want him to smile at you now. 
Courage in life, courage facing death, courage to be obedient. Why? Because Paul says in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. That means the here and now, whether for good or for evil. And look, I I know in our evangelical world today, we tend to shy away from this. We think it's opposed to grace or in some way sends the message that we, we earn our salvation. But Paul is not saying that and neither am I. Of course, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. But brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, that doesn't mean that we're not going to give an account for our lives in the here and now. There will be a day when we will see Jesus Christ face to face. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that's been burdening my heart lately is when I see him face to face, I want to see him smile. I want him to say, well done. That means I'm going to have to work real hard sometimes to love unlovable people. It means I'm going to have to serve other people when I just don't want to serve other people. It means i got to tell the truth when the truth really doesn't look that good. It means I've got to forgive other people that, that, quite frankly, don't deserve, in my opinion, to be forgiven. It means I'm going to do or I'm going to try to do everything that I know that I'm supposed to do because it's really not that hard. It's simply what I want other people to do for me. And look, that doesn't mean that we're going to do it consistently, and it doesn't mean that we're going to do it very well at times, but we should want to get up each and every morning and do it more and do it better because we want to please our Savior. And even as Phil said, we're not courageous in and of ourselves. I am very fearful of my own heart. But we can be courageous if we know our Savior and if we know what He's done. Courage is not... And Phil alluded to this already. Courage is not about not being afraid. Courage is not about not being fearful. Courage is facing our fears with a sure and certain knowledge that God is at work in the world, in our lives. We know that he's for us. We know that he's loved us, and he will never stop loving us. Why wouldn't you want to serve a Savior and a God like that? Why wouldn't you be willing? Why wouldn't we be willing to do everything if we serve a Savior like that? Listen, I'm sure there were days when when my friend Thomas was uncertain, was unsure, and was afraid. There is no doubt in my mind. I'm also very sure that Paul felt the same way. You know what made them courageous? They knew that God was bigger than their own fears, he was bigger than their own doubts, and he was bigger than their own weaknesses. Do you believe that? God is bigger than your sin. And they knew that they could trust their God because Jesus Christ had come, Jesus Christ was born, Jesus Christ died, he was resurrected, and he now sits at the right hand of God, and the only thing we're waiting for is for him to return, and he will, because he's already come once. And if you know that to be true, you're going to put forth effort in your life to know him better now by faith. So that when we get to meet our Savior face to face, we will see him smile. We're about to start a new year. And and I I do promise, I I don't make resolutions because I know I'll I'll mess them up. But if you're the type of person that it helps you, I, I think you ought to make some resolutions for this year. 
But do know that when you're making resolutions, your life as a Christian, as a son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life is about something so much bigger than a few resolutions. We are part of God's eternal work, and we know that this life, this body that we now have, while it may be good, it's not great. It's our earthly home. And we have something more that's being prepared for us, and it's eternal. It's not made with human hands. So everything that we do this day and tomorrow and the future matters. And we can face this life with courage. We don't have to be afraid of death. And we can do everything that Jesus Christ tells us to do because he is our life. And one day we will see him face to face. Let's pray.